Hello and welcome to the Dynasty Vipers Viper Cast. We are on to week number three of the NFL season. Sorry about last week. We took the week off. Things happened, but we are here ready to get you going with the starts and sits heading into this pivotal week three matchup. You're either one and one, two and oh, or hopefully not 0 and two at this point. But hey, stranger things have happened, but that's what we're here for. We are here to navigate these fantasy seas. And Tara, when I'm looking at the news and notes from last week, why do we continue to give RB0 uh, truthers any more ammunition? Because we just saw running backs going down left after right after left after right. I mean, it was like a marching injury, whatever you want to call it, at the running back position. Tara, what's going on? I don't know if we're giving, yeah, well, first of all, I don't know if we're giving the zero RB truthers all that ammunition because if they pick James Cook and like, the, and they're feeling good. But if they pick like Rashad Penny and um, Alexander Madison and um, who else is another one that was in there that you could like Khalil Herbert, who might, you know, be partially out of a job soon i mean you could be suffering so it goes both ways it's it's literally just you you pick the best players and you cross your fingers um but yeah i i hate all of the injury stuff that's happening right here especially with running backs i mean quarterbacks come back right you know kyler murray can tear an acl and he'll be back and maybe he loses you know some mobility temporarily but it's not a career ender right but these running backs it just <sighs> breaks my heart watching them suffer these you know career potentially career ending injuries on such short career years it's just terrible well, let's talk about one of those potential career-ending injuries. And it's one that happened on Monday Night Football to Nick Chubb. I mean, I'm no doctor, and I haven't heard the official report. But as soon as that happened, I kind of said, you know, my initials are MD, so I figured that qualifies me somewhat in the medical world here. But the way I looked at that, knees bend at a 90-degree angle. Well, usually you're sitting in a normal position. That knee went 90 degrees the other direction. Like, it went in ways it isn't supposed to go. And right away, like... I don't know much about medical world here, but I'm telling you, that's a dislocated knee, multiple ligament type injury. People are like, well, what qualifies you? I said, my eyes. I look at that. I mean, he's lucky yeah. if he tore something because if he stretched it, that's got to be worse than actually tearing it. I mean, the recovery time behind that. And when you look at Nick Chubb and what that means, this, I don't know how he bounces back from that injury. Like, that is a significant injury. We've watched running backs. J.K. Dobbins trying to work his way back after his knee injury. We're watching running backs right now, Brees Hall, and even Javante Williams degree working their way back in. And their utilization has been fantastic, and they've looked okay. Their burst hasn't come all the way back yet. But I'm looking at Nick Chubb here. I don't know how you get back to being Nick Chubb after that kind of a knee injury. Yeah, I, I agree. It just especially when you, you know, consider age as well. The only fortunate thing is at least he got a contract extension before this. So he didn't have to deal with the same thing that J.K. Dobbins is unfortunately going to have to deal with. But yeah, that was a rough one, especially to the same knee that he had injured before. <sighs> yeah, it, it's not good. And the running backs have such a short shelf life to begin with, and they don't have an opportunity to maximize their earnings. So Good news is Chubb, he got himself a little extra pay there, like you mentioned there. But still, man, Nick Chubb, 
He is one of the greatest backs that we have had an opportunity to see. I mean, th this latest generation, Nick Chubb is one of the top five running backs, I think, since he came into the league. And I don't think that's really for an argument. But another one of the top five running backs that we've had an opportunity to see in the last 10 years or so is Saquon Barkley. And we're getting kind of mixed reports out right now that that ankle injury, it's an ordinary ankle injury, so to speak. We heard three weeks possibility. But now Brian Dable's talking about, hey, you know what? He's a quick healer. He may be back for Thursday night football. Well, Brian Dable, first off, coaches lie all the time. I don't trust you one one way or the other here. But could he be on to something? Could Saquon Barkley possibly play on Thursday night football? And if so, are you playing Saquon Barkley on Thursday night football? I mean, if Saquon's playing, you're playing Saquon. But here's the thing. We know that they gave him a one-year deal. We know that he has no true incentive to push himself in. Now, that's not to say that he's just going to mail it in or anything, but this is a quick turnaround. Your body is value for you monetarily. And for an ankle injury, it's not uncommon to see a week, Ackler. You know, it's, just, it's not uncommon. So why would he push himself to be ready for a Thursday night football game. I don't I don't see it happening personally. No, I, I don't see how this is happening. I don't know how he wants it. I mean, it worked if he does, it's the San Francisco 49ers. That's not exactly a game you want to go in there playing on one leg. Now, another running back who's down to one leg, it's Austin Eckler, who looks like he's still going to be out heading into week number three. We knew that he had a tough matchup anyway against Tennessee. We saw Joshua Kelly struggle a little bit. If you were watching the show or listening to us just about anywhere, you knew that Joshua Kelly was a temper your expectations type play going against the Tennessee Titans, who are one of the best run defenses against fantasy running backs. That's no secret out there. But Austin Eckler, I don't think he's going to play this week, and he could be out for another week yet on top of that as they try to get themselves ready. The problem with all this whole situation is the Los Angeles Chargers, they're 0-2. Can they afford Eckler not to go back out there? And again, like Saquon Barkley, Eckler was quite vocal about wanting to get paid prior to the season. He may not have the same incentives to get out there anytime soon. Do you think we're going to see Austin Eckler anytime soon? And if so, can you trust him? Yeah, I mean, you can trust him. Uh, but again, you are 100% correct. In a year where we know these running backs are all upset about the money, the only leverage that, you know, theoretically they have is not playing. Although that does give the next man up the, you know, opportunity there. But at the same time, they're protecting their bodies they're, you know, sticking it to the team. They're not pushing themselves. So, yeah, you know, it's possible we don't see him again. But I, I don't see where this becomes a Jonathan Taylor type of deal. So just hold on and just relax for a second. You might miss another week. Hopefully not more. I love, I love that you mentioned Jonathan Taylor because I'm going to slide right on into that. Talk about the Indianapolis Colts. We don't know what's going on with Jonathan Taylor yet. We're seeing him at Indianapolis. He's working out there a little bit. He looks pretty good. I mean, that ankle looks fine from what I can see. But again, not a doctor. But what was interesting is the Colts went out there and they signed Trey Sermon. Remember him? It's former 49er, former Philadelphia Eagle. Is this something? Is this nothing? Like When we're talking about Jonathan Taylor's future in Indianapolis, could Trey Sermon be that kind of 
piece that comes in Indianapolis so that we know Jonathan Taylor is on his way out? Or could Jonathan Taylor somehow end up being an Indianapolis Colt? We talked about this a couple weeks ago that neither one of us really believed that Jim Ursay had any reason to trade Jonathan Taylor. Like We're talking about jo- uh, Jim Ursay here. But could this be like, hey, you know what? we got Trey Sermon. We can let Jonathan Taylor go. No, not at all. Uh, we got to remember that one Evan uh, Hull. Sorry, there's so many. There's so many rookies that you know have oddly similar names. Evan Hull got um, injured, and they lost every single ounce of confidence in Deion Jackson. He went down to legitimately nothing, and Zach Moss got every single running back opportunity you could have. But that's not realistic workload for literally anyone outside of Derrick Henry, right? So, you know, they had to add someone because they've still got a couple more games to deal with without um, Jonathan Taylor, even if they can reconcile, which ultimately I do kind of think they will end up reconciling. But yeah, they had to add someone. I think it speaks more to the fact that Evan Hole is probably not going to be back for a few games. Well, speaking of running backs who also went down with injury, David Montgomery, he looks like he's going to miss two to three weeks here dealing with that hamstring knee type situation that he's got going on there. The Detroit Lions went out there and they signed Zenovan Knight. Remember him? Bam, bam, former New York Jet, now a Detroit line. There may be another back in Detroit that we talk about when it comes to our waiver wire additions here, but when I look at this, this is obviously nothing, but this is telling me that David Montgomery is probably closer to that three weeks that he's going to miss than he is a week or two. So that's just something to keep an eye on there. And another injury that was significant this week was Brandon Ayuk and that shoulder injury. Now, it sounds like he underwent the CT scan there back on Monday that revealed revealed no break in the clavicle area, which is obviously great news for Ayuk, who's one of my favorite wide receivers who is borderline wide receiver one type numbers there heading out of week number one. A guy I felt was like, hey, this guy could be a top 15 wide receiver when it's all said and done. Obviously, he had a down week because of the injury, but that's where we are. Now, with that all being said, let's kind of take a look back at some of the maybe more positive fantasy notes heading from week number two into week number three. And things are getting weird, man. Things are getting weird, Tara, at the quarterback position. Daniel Jones and Joshua Dobbs were top fantasy options. We're talking about like top five fantasy quarterbacks. Can either one of these guys even flirt with a QB one heading into week two, uh, three or beyond that? Not Joshua Dobbs. I mean, that <laughs> things happen, right? Um, and every now and then, you know, you get a matchup that works in your favor. Um, that obviously worked in their favor. Um, we, have discovered that it turns out the Giants offense wasn't really that spectacular during preseason and training camp. It was just that their defense was a horrific mess. Um, but Daniel Jones, we, you know, we love him here. The upside exists, you know, the legs, maybe with Saquon down, obviously they end up running him a little bit more than they already do. So the upside exists for him always, but, um, uh, no, I think Joshua Dobbs just kind of lucked up on a good situation in one particular matchup. Yeah, that's not usually good when you have the two top fast, or two of the top fast quarterbacks playing each, each other, and they're both not good teams. And I think that was the perfect storm for Dobbs and Daniel Jones because we've watched. I mean, let's not kid ourselves. The Dallas Cowboys are a great defense, but we're talking about this Giants offense. 
it hasn't been very good so far. So there's a lot of questions about how they're going to move forward with this offense, especially if Saquon Barkley misses time. And all throughout the offseason, all we heard was how undefendable Darren Waller was in the red zone. Well, so far, he's been defended pretty good. Now, another big news here at the running back position is the fact that Brian Robinson and Raheem Mostert were like RB1 and RB2 when it comes to standard. And you can throw in Kyron Williams there as the RB2 when it comes to PPR. Even Mostert, I think he's RB6 when it came to P, uh, PPR scoring there. So when we look at Robinson and Mostert there, in general, can either one of these guys be a guy that you feel comfortable starting each and every week? Yeah, I will start Raheem Mostert as long as he is healthy. You know, you, you can't predict when it's going to happen, but you keep on rolling him out until you are no longer um, able to do that. And then he goes into your IR spot. Um, and Brian Robinson. Yeah, I'm I'm fully on board with Brian Robinson on a weekly basis. Uh, Antonio Gibson, you know, he's remaining involved, but obviously they're clearly just not giving him those high value touches. Brian Robinson looks excellent. We have to remember that what we saw out of him last year, like he was post- gunshot wound right so <laughs> what we see out of him this year is obviously a more effective version um of what we saw last year and he's being utilized as a you know not a three down back traditionally but a high volume back and he has gotten past catching upside as well and I think you have to trust it, you know, when you are a high volume running back, even if it's a shaky situation offensively, these guys are producing, you have to buy into it. Yeah, Robinson was one of those guys that's making me look like a genius early on because I was high on Robinson just because of what we saw towards the end of the season there when he was getting some volume, he was producing. And basically, you got to remember, he was a rookie last season who missed all of rookie camp, who missed training camp, whatever that looks like. So you knew there's going to be some struggles early on. The other running back that's been making me look like a genius is Alexander Madison because, quite frankly, you know how much I haven't liked him throughout the offseason. And so far, I've been looking pretty good as far as Madison is concerned. Um, as far as the wide receivers are concerned, two more underappreciated wide receivers made their appearances in the top 12 this week, and that was Nico Collins and Josh Reynolds, two guys that were probably on your waiver wires, probably two guys that are still on your waiver wire. Now, could either one of these two be a solid flex option or maybe even creep into wide receiver two categories here, not only just in week number three, but throughout the season? Is there a guy that you trust a little bit more than the other? Oh, absolutely. Um, Nico, but I've been on Nico, I mean, uh, just aggressively for a while. I mean, he was my highest drafted um, pre-draft best ball tournament player um, easily. It wasn't, like, it wasn't even close. Post-draft, I fell in love with Tank Dell. I guess that's working out too. But um, but yeah, you know, this Houston offense is the run game is just terrible. The offensive line is terrible. And CJ Stroud is going to have to more than likely throw for high volume week after week after week. Nico has asserted himself as the wide receiver one. I loved him heading into the season uh, because again, we saw him be able to take over as the wide receiver one when Brandon cooks was actually, it was a small sample size, but they were healthy and on the field at the same time. And Nico was asserting himself as the wide receiver one, the target hog in the offense, and it continued. He's trustworthy for sure. You want to roster him. He better not be on your waiver wire. Grab him immediately. Josh Reynolds, um, 
is someone who I do like, and I think he is solidly the wide receiver too in that offense. Um, and he's reliable. And again, this is a high volume offense. And um, unfortunately, the defense has improved, but they just suffered um, uh, injury to the secondary. Unfortunately, with um, uh, CNA, or, uh, CJ Gardner Johnson. And, you know, that just kind of takes that hit. And it's probably going to mean that they're going to have to continue to push aggressive pass volume. And I like what Reynolds brings to the offense. It's just a matter of how much do you trust once Jamison Williams comes back. But honestly, he could retain that wide receiver two role. There's no reason to not keep him and see how it all shakes out um, because he is valuable. These are two other wide receivers that made me look smart last week. I really loved that Nico Collins was getting the volume. In the offseason, we talked about that on this show, actually. 300 vacated targets were available in this Houston Texan offense from last season. Well, that number is probably closer to 400 the way C.J. Stroud's out there tossing 47 balls per game right now. And Nico Collins is seeing 11 of those targets. So you know the volume is going to be there for Nico Collins. He's going to be a volume play. Now, Josh Reynolds is a guy that I said, you could start him in your flex last week. I felt very confident in him. When you have the wide receiver two, in a top five passing offense that the Detroit Lions have, he's going to have that fantasy value. And like you said, when Jameson Williams comes back, there was enough red flags this offseason that tell me that Jameson Williams is not going to be a starter when he comes back. Look, we know he got suspended for some ill-advised decisions that he made on the facility when it came to the NFL's gambling policy there. And then in the most important time of his career, he ends up injuring his hamstring and misses pretty much all of training camp. So even when he does come after his six-game suspension, he's probably three weeks away from even cracking the lineup, let alone that. And by then, I think it's too late for Jamison Williams to be much more than just a deep threat kind of guy. So I really love Josh Reynolds to remain in this role moving forward. Now, we do like to talk about where we hit, where we miss. We'll talk about that in a second. But we know people are trying to get those last-minute waiver wire claims in. So, Tara, just kind of go through your top three waiver wire additions this week. I mean, it's no surprise. It's Jerome Ford. I understand people are, you know, oh, Kareem Hunt. Um, but I feel like people that are very aggressively, like Kareem Hunt's going to come back here and, you know, claim the RB1 spot. I I wonder if they're, and this is not judgment, but I wonder if it's redraft versus dynasty players because the dynasty community, we're fully on board and we've been on board with Ford, right? So this is not, um, you know, he's someone who was one of my favorite um, late round draft picks for a while. So this is not something new. This is not some random um happenstance that's you know him being able to step into the rb1 role within cleveland so i understand that people are fearful of you know the addition of kareem hunt here we don't even know for sure that's going to happen he came to visit like we've seen him go and visit multiple teams obviously money is a understandably not judgment money is a concern from him he wants a good contract if you're going to go out there and put your body on the line again um so we don't know for sure that they can even, you know, bring him back and reconcile this and what kind of role he would step into. So stop. No, don't lock it in yet. Um, Jerome Ford is someone who, in my opinion, even if Kareem Hunt is on the team, will still profile as the lead back. He obviously, you know, we feel like Kareem Hunt did lose a step. He's a little bit older. So you got to keep that in mind. Um, 
After that, Zach Moss, he is still available, surprisingly, or not surprisingly. Um, again, you know, we talked about this when uh, you brought up Trey Sermon, Matt. Zach Moss is the literal only running back that they have right now that they're willing to give the ball to. So <laughs> if he is on the waiver wire, I know it is a short-term thing if JT does, in fact, come back from the pub and starts. But if you're scraping and you need to throw somebody in, um, you can throw in Zach Moss for right now because nobody else is they've they've lost the faith in Deion Johnson. Trey Sermon's not gonna come in there and grab a bunch of volume. Zach Moss is gonna have this until Jake T comes back. And then Rashawn Johnson, um, kind of tipped my hat a little uh in speaking of Khalil Herbert. Um they're in a committee and Rashawn has the higher value touches, the upside those receiving touches and he's looked better quite frankly and it's very possible that he just continues to eat and eat and eat into Khalil Herbert's workload and is a value for you long term so that's someone else that you want to grab and stash you want to get ahead with these um handcuffs yeah, I'm I'm right with you there when it comes to Jerome Ford. And it's too bad that Major's not here because you know Major was all in on Jerome Ford even before the season started, which is actually probably a good thing that he's not here because we probably wouldn't <laughs> hear the end of it. But then again, I, I'm upset that we didn't do a show last week because I was really going to celebrate the Darnell Mooney, Jacoby Myers double touchdown performance from week number one that I didn't really get a chance to celebrate last week. But you know Major would be all over the Jerome Ford news. So I don't think I need to talk about that anymore. Nico Collins is another guy that I'm adding on the waiver wire because for some reason he's still on the waiver wire. Just like Zach Moss, these guys should not be on the waiver wire. They should already be scooped up and put on your roster somewhere in every league out there. And the other one is, I get this one a lot, like on the Discord channels there with Fantasy Points and with Roto Baller. Should I pick up DeAndre Swift? I get it. We've been hurt before. We've gone through this whole Swift situation in years past. If Swift is healthy, it looks like he's going to have a role in Philadelphia. Now, the interesting question becomes, Kenneth Gainwell or DeAndre Swift, who do you pick up? Because Gainwell was the starter over DeAndre Swift, but DeAndre Swift, he absolutely balled out in week number two. So it's going to be interesting to see how that dynamic looks moving forward. But upside here at DeAndre Swift, we know what that upside is. And that's a guy that I feel you can trust. Some other guys we talked about here. Josh Reynolds, another guy that's on the too many waiver wires. you got to go out there and grab him right now as well. So there's lots of options out there. And Kieran Williams, I've even heard his name still on the waiver wire. I don't know why his name would even be out there because you should be picking him up. He's already a top 15 running back this season. There's no reason for someone like that to be on the waivers. Now, we, we hit and miss every single week. And we try and do our best, but we like to hold ourselves accountable. So who was a player that you – hit on last week and who's a player that you missed uh a player that i hit on last week um was james cook um really really bullish on james cook as a top 10 back loved what i saw out of him um in a tough matchup you know loved what i didn't see even though we did see the addition of um this week the this past week the addition of latavius murray and damian harris a little bit more not to the extent to where this isn't clear that this is james cook's backfield so absolutely hit on that one on all fronts and then miss i am i have been i let some people talk me into this one 
I do a lot of shows, a lot of start sets. This one hurts me. This one hurts me. This thing means you weren't <laughs> listening to me. No, I've, and I have been very don't start running backs against Tennessee. But I let some people talk me into the volume, you know, hey, you know, I mean, the volume would I mean, like, I, and I won't blame it on other people here. The ball was going to move so well and the passing offense was going to do so well that there would be goal line opportunities for Joshua Kelly. But it didn't matter. You just you just don't start your running backs against Tennessee. You don't get cute. Even you just don't get cute with it. It doesn't happen. So that was a miss that I had. My apologies, guys. I should have stuck to my guns and said, no, don't do it. Yeah, we're the same way as everybody else, right? We make our final decisions when it comes to our lineup. So ultimately, when we mess up our lineup, it's all on us. And whenever I go out there and I give started sit advice there, I'm legitimately starting the guys I'm saying to start, and I'm sitting the guys that I say I want to sit, which is going to be interesting when we get a little bit further down on this show sheet because there's some interesting ones here. But for me, I I I went on my show there and I was like, hey, sit Kurt Cousins, but you know what? I have no problem if I'm wrong. I want to be wrong sometimes when I sit a player because all the data, all the mojo, everything that we know about fantasy football was telling us it's 6 p.m. and Kirk Cousins needs to be in bed. You cannot start Kirk Cousins on prime time. I have been guilty of starting him multiple times on prime time, and it hasn't worked out. So the one time that I decide to sit Kirk Cousins on prime time, he goes out there and throws for like, what, 364 yards and four touchdowns, and yet I'm okay with that because I can't hate this guy. I mean, the dude shops for at Kohl's and all this other stuff. I mean, I love Kirk Cousins, so I got no problem being wrong on him, but I, I was saying to sit him to just about anybody who would listen because you don't start Kirk Cousins on primetime. It's just something you don't do. It's like starting Andy Dalton on primetime. That's a no-no. That's going to get you drinking like Big Mac smoothies and whatnot. Now, the guy that I hit on was George Kittle. I, I, I've been wary about him since week number one. He's been on my sit list the last couple weeks. I just haven't been able to trust him and where he's at, especially this 49ers offense. Even when Brandon Ayuk went down, he really didn't step up. It was a Debo Samuel-type game at that point. So I don't know where George Kittle's fitting in here. He's been turned into more of a blocking-type tight end more than anything. I think he's still dealing with a little bit of that, that growing strain that he suffered there during training camp. He's not close to 100%. And until he gets there, we can't trust him. And the scary thing is this tight end position is a fantasy waistline like no other. Week one, we didn't have Travis Kelsey and Mark Andrews. And basically, guys that I was saying to sit, and I was right, they scored like eight fantasy points. Those were top 10 type weeks from these tight ends. That's how bad the position had gone. So if you were getting eight fantasy points, you were a top 10 player at the tight end position last week. That's not changing. That isn't going anywhere. And for me, that's kind of scary because I look at this and I'm like, where do we go? Can you start sitting George Kittle because he's going to give you tight end 31 numbers. Meanwhile, you got a guy like Kate Otten going out there and balling out against whoever he's playing. So it is upside down, inside out. Thankfully, we got Travis Kelsey that we can trust again. Thankfully, we can trust in Mark Andrews, maybe even TJ Hawkinson. But outside of those top three, it is really playing tight end roulette with the position. Now, with that being said, we are going to start playing roulette with our starts and sits, starting at the quarterback position. Tara, who are you starting? Who's a must-start at the quarterback position? And who are you fading? I am starting to a Tugavaloa. 
Um, in a bounce back week. I know it's not innovative, but you know, we're not always innovative in terms of our start recommendations here. Cause sometimes there are some guys, you know, further back and you just can't find one. That's a fantastic start. But, um, again, with Tua last week was a tough defensive matchup against new England. That was expected a subpar performance against them. It happens, you know, even Jalen hurts was disappointing against them. It's just a year in and year out stout defense. Uh, and this week versus Denver, um, bodes very well for him. And typically you think Denver, you think strong defense, but they've been getting lit up. They just got lit up by Sam Howell, who was 27 of 39 for 299 yards, two touchdowns. Even Jimmy G had a decent week against them in week one. So this Denver defense, this Denver team, team as a whole just might be unfortunately still struggling. Um, as they try to recover with Sean Payton. And I believe that Tua will be able to exploit that. So for sure, don't be scared of what you saw last week and, uh, you know, a bad floor game, but we'll have a nice bounce back in this one. Um, my must sit of the week. It's very uninspiring. I'm sorry. It is Mac Jones versus the New York Jets. Uh, and I, you know, I felt comfortable including it because maybe some people have been feeling a little bit cute with Mac Jones because, He's been passing for some higher volume um, and he's had, you know, he had an interesting, you know, big week one and maybe people are feeling like there's something there with him. Uh, I don't believe there is. And especially against the New York Jets, I'm not going to trust that at all. So don't get cute. Even if you're in Superflex, find another way to pivot um, from him. Mac Jones, I don't feel it this week, unfortunately. You know, that, that hurts my feelings, Max. I, I just watched what Dak Prescott did against that New York Jets secondary. I did not see that coming. Maybe Mac Jones will be inspired by that performance, mm. and that will carry into week three. Probably not, though. <laughs> now, for me, Kirk Cousins is a must-start this week. I am back with my boy, Kirky. We are going to get it done. Yes, I like that. And I also like the matchup against the Los Angeles Chargers. Now, <laughs> you look at this. This was supposed to be a tough matchup against the Philadelphia Eagles last week. We saw this happen in 2022 where the Eagles, I think it was on Monday Night Football, made Kirk Cousins look silly. And then this year, he went out there on Thursday Night Football and threw for 364 yards and four touchdowns. Now, the Vikings, they did drop a pair of consecutive games, so you can't blame Kirk when it came to this one here. But this week against the uh, Chargers, a team that has allowed 712 passing yards so far to this season, you have to feel that like Kirk Cousins is a lock, not to be just a top 12 quarterback, but a top five quarterback here in week number three. He's going to remain hot, and he's just going to fire it up this week. I love this matchup. Now, in the Chargers defense, they did get lit up against Tua Tagovailoa in week number one, so those numbers are slightly misconstrued there against Tyreek Hill. But, hey, this is Justin Jefferson we're talking about. So I, I think we have a pretty good uh, – sample of what to expect here this week now my sit this week it's that daniel jones and you know we love vanilla vic on this show and i can say that because major's not here to kind of <laughs> womp 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 me so but san francisco 49ers this week that is not a good matchup for anybody so looking at daniel jones he's gone from the fantasy outhouse to the penthouse Back to the outhouse. That is what happens in fantasy football. One week you're up, the next week you're down, and we go on from there. Now, we did see him. I mean, you can't really take anything away from him against the Dallas Cowboys. But then 
He played against the Arizona Cardinals. So really, the truth has to lie somewhere in the middle. San Francisco is probably closer to Dallas than they are to Arizona when it comes to their defense. And the one thing that always gets me, this 49ers defense has only given up two passing touchdowns, and yet they have four interceptions so far this season. And if you don't have a 100% healthy Saquon Barkley, Nick Bosa is going to sit back there, pin his ears back, and he's going to get after the quarterback. I don't care how fast Daniel Jones is going to be. He's going to have to be even faster to keep away from Nick Bosa this entire contest. So I have a feeling that this is one of those games where Daniel Jones is going to get sacked five times, and it's not going to be pretty. So I'm begging you right now, sit Daniel Jones this week. There's going to be better days ahead for him, but this is not it. Now, we want to talk about another good day for another running back here. Tara, who's a must-start running back? And you know what? Throw a sit in there as well. Uh, before I do that, I will say I will roll out Daniel Jones. <laughs> um, I get it. Why we don't want to you know, start him against San Francisco. We saw how. Yeah, absolutely. Looked like uh, Kenny Pickett was seeing ghosts out there uh, last week. But uh, I will say that if Saquon doesn't play, we might see legitimately Daniel Jones run for like 80 plus yards. I mean, it really could happen. So he could throw, he could complete, he could complete like 12 passes and then run for some obscene yardage and have a fine fantasy day. So technically speaking, I'm not, I'm not on the, you have to sit on bandwagon, but for running backs, um, my must start is Najee Harris. It's very simple here. You got to give Najee a chance against Vegas. I get it. The production has been horrendous. The involvement from Jalen Warren has been concerning. But in my opinion, I, I you just you got to go with the matchup here and not panic. He is still the RB1 of that offense. And the production that he's had you know, quite frankly, he has just, you know, had these horrible matchups to start the season. Absolutely horrible, but it's going to get better. This is a good matchup. He's got another one coming up as well. So you start Najee Harris this week. And again, the sit here is really simple. It's Jerome Ford against Tennessee. You're picking him up, but you're not starting him against Tennessee. We're sticking to our guns here. Um, this one's going to be an interesting matchup, though. I hesitated to put... Deshaun Watson as my controversial sit because we're going to get a, we're going to get very detailed information here if he is able to have a nice bounce back situation against um Tennessee's defense where you know you should be able to throw on them aggressively then we can say okay you know, we can reevaluate better matchups and Deshaun Watson can be reliable. If he goes out there and he lays another egg in this situation and Cleveland looks awful, red flags, it's over, we're done. So I, this this Tennessee game, this Tennessee-Cleveland game is going to be very interesting to watch as a whole. I couldn't agree with you more on those two picks there. I mean, we know you're not starting Jerome Ford against the Tennessee Titans. It's one of those things I kind of talk about. And Najee Harris was actually in one of my starts here because I look at what James Cook did against this same Raiders team last week. He averaged something like seven yards per carry. And the thing is, the Raiders are giving up about 32 fantasy points to the running back position. So, Again, just like Deshaun Watson, if Deshaun Watson can't put up production against this Tennessee Titans pass defense, if Harris fails to give you a 15-point week, 
then it might be time to give up on Najee Harris here because Jalen Warren, he's ready to pick up that slack in his own right, who could be a sleeper here this week against that same Raiders defense. But for me, I am starting Isaiah Pacheco versus the Chicago Bears. The Bears offense stinks, but so does their defense. It hasn't improved, and this was one of the worst run defenses last season. They've already allowed 175 yards on the ground to running backs. They've allowed 133 yards to running backs in the passing game. And this is one of those things that Isaiah Pacheco is going to sit back there and get this Kansas City Chiefs offense right again. Kansas City's offense hasn't looked right so far this season. This is one of those games, a get-right type game, where Pacheco is going to run and run and run. And it's going to open things up for Patrick Mahomes. And Patrick Mahomes is going to be like, hey, Chicago, you should have drafted me and all this other fun stuff. We're going to hear that narrative all throughout the week. Bottom line is, we are not accustomed to the Chiefs struggling. And the best way to ail a struggling offense is to get that run game going and we know that Pacheco can run the ball and we know that just about any running back that faces this Bears defense is going to be able to run the ball against it so put one and one together and you're going to have a good fantasy week for Isaiah Pacheco now I'm sitting Damian Pierce against the Jacksonville Jaguars is it Jaguars Jaguars you know what that's for a totally different show another day of the week here but we talk about how good the Dallas Cowboys are when it comes to stopping the run. Well, Jacksonville's only allowed 93 rushing yards this season to running backs through two weeks. That's pretty darn good. Now, Pierce, he's going to have a better chance to produce than maybe some other guys, but he's coming off a game in which he only averaged 2.1 yards per carry, and that's a little bit of an alarming situation there for me because he did have an, a, an opportunity to carry the ball 15 times if he can't start producing cj strauss is going to keep on throwing the ball we may see Stroud throw the ball 50 times this week because we get an opportunity to see the golden boy trevor lawrence against cj stroud this week and that's one of those kind of big time matchups that quarterbacks dream of each and every year but man I, I can't trust pierce i mean this jacksonville jaguars run defense is good their pass defense is a little bit vulnerable much like tennessee this is telling me that the houston texans are probably going to need to throw a little bit more than run and that is not going to work out very well for damian pierce here in week number three now moving along to the wide receiver position tara give me another must start and must sit my must start is my boy Zay Flowers, I mean, I don't feel like there's any massive explanation needed. He has clearly asserted himself as the wide receiver one of that offense in Baltimore. And the matchup is fantastic. We need to be targeting the Indianapolis secondary every single week. This could be a fantastic breakout, breakout performance for him. We've got Odell that, you know, appears to technically be the his biggest competition, if it's even considered competition for that wide receiver one spot, but he's dealing with an ankle injury. You know how that goes. And Rashad Bateman just hasn't looked like anything at all. So this should be a heavy dose of Mark Andrews and Zay Flowers. Uh, you got to start him. If he is, if you've been debating when to, you know, maybe had him on your bench and you felt like you had better options, now is the week to start him. Uh, my sit is going to be Marquise Brown versus Dallas, which I don't like because I do like, I'm more pro Marquise Brown than um, the vast majority of people because, again, he's, he's talented. I know it's a bad offense, it's a bad quarterback, bad situation. But he is Marquise Brown, as we saw last week. He can step up and have strong performances. 
I just don't think that it's going to happen against Dallas. We, we did see that, you know, Zach Wilson was able to have one good pass to his wide receiver one. And that was cool, but that's not going to happen every single game. Dallas's defense is an absolute menace. They should give Arizona all kinds of fits. Yeah. I just don't think you want any part of Marquise Brown if you can afford to do it. I'm with you, man. That that hurts me so much not to be able to start Marquise Hollywood Brown because I, I love him. I absolutely love what he can do as a wide receiver. I think he was an absolute bargain where you're getting him as a wide receiver three, wide receiver four that had that wide receiver two upside throughout the offseason. This this is this isn't it. You got Stefan Gilmore on one side, you got Trevon Diggs on the other. There's nowhere for him to really go. Now, for me, I am starting Jordan Addison versus the Los Angeles Chargers. The Chargers secondary, we talked about how for, how generous they were to quarterbacks. Well, they've given up 565 receiving yards to the receiver position and four touchdowns in just two games. And they're going to have their hands full dealing with Justin Jefferson. And if you look at the target rate and everything, the target distribution there for the Minnesota Vikings, Jordan Addison has been that deep threat all throughout the first two contests because teams are so fixated on Justin Jefferson that they forget that Jordan Addison's 15 yards behind him every single time. So look for that to kind of continue here this week, A, because the Chargers aren't very good in the secondary, and two, because Jordan Addison's really good, and three, Justin Jefferson is the best wide receiver in the game today. Outside of maybe Tyreek Hill, there's no other wide receiver that it gets open as often as Justin Jefferson. So you're going to be looking where Jordan Addison, people are going to forget he's even on the field until Kirk Cousins drops the ball into his hands 30 yards down the field. So I really love Jordan Addison having a big week against this Chargers team. If you want to go for that mega stack that we talk about, how about you just go out there and stack Jordan Addison, Justin Jefferson, and Kirk Cousins? Because I think that's going to be an absolute killer DFS lineup. Now, now a player that I'm sitting in, this one hurts. This goes back to like Kirk Cousins for me last week, a player that I hope I am wrong when I am sitting him, and that's Chris Olave versus the Green Bay Packers. Listen, this is not about Chris Olave. This is about Jair Alexander more than anything else. And the, char- and the Packers defense, they've actually limited opposing wide receivers to just 22.45 fantasy points per game, which is the eighth fewest so far this season. Now, yeah, Chicago, I think they played in there somewhere in there. And I mean, the numbers are, the fantasy numbers aren't quite where they want to be, where they're going to be, say, week eight, week nine. But it gives us a bit of an indication to be like, hey, this is not a good matchup. Green Bay's only allowed two touchdowns. They've only given up 219 yards, two receivers. Again, Jair Alexander is the main reason why this is. So if we see Alexander on a lobby, I'm just, I'm just looking to fade this all together. This is a matchup that I'm looking to avoid. Pretty much all together, if I can. Now, you're probably going to have to stick him out there in your lineup because he is a top 20 wide receiver, no matter how you look at it. But I just, I don't trust him. I don't like the matchup. And if I have an option that's close to it, maybe a Zay Flowers, for example, this is where I would use Zay Flowers over Chris Olave just because of the matchup situation here. Now, moving along to the tight end position. Tara, give me another tight end that you could start and give me one that you could fade outside of all of them. But we'll see what you got. Yeah, um, your must start. Uh, I guess we got to stop pretending that Hunter Henry might, you know, might not actually have a top five seat. He could be it. Every single season, there's one or two guys that pop up and make a big impact and that you drafted, uh, you know, late. And 
it's or not even drafted. Hunter Henry was someone that we were kind of looking at, and you know, he was kind of passed over. So it's He's wild. Yeah, it's wild it, that people are kind of like not trusting it when it makes complete sense. You know, I was on the Mike Gesicki side and thinking that he would be the one that kind of, not that Hunter Henry would not have production, but that Gesicki would maybe step up a little bit more um, because of his past catching and technical profiling as a receiver. But the New England receiving court is weak. Let's just be quite frank about it. Juju Smith-Schuster was signed to theoretically be the wide receiver one. It's clear he's not. It's very clear. He's been surpassed by Kendrick Bourne, by Demario Douglas. He was surpassed by Kayshawn Booty when he was on the field. He has been surpassed by Devontae uh, Parker. You know, uh, <laughs> unfortunately, it's just, you know, that's how bad it is that we're legitimately looking at Kendrick Bourne as the true wide receiver one of that offense. He has the highest target share in it, even with Devontae Parker coming back. So it makes sense that Hunter Henry is stepping up and having this high level of productivity in this offense. So Hunter Henry is a must start. I know people that didn't even have him as a top, you know, 12 tight. And this is not judgment or anything because it was common. He was not a top 12 tight end last week. Um, and you had to have him there. I think it's, you know, going to stick. My must sit. I mean, technically, there's quite a bit of him. It was, you know, tough to really choose a must sit because there's such a, you wish that you could just sit tight in as a whole. But to be clear, we cannot start Gerald Everett. I understand that we have loved him in the past. I understand that the Chargers offense is so so strong and you want to start pieces within that offense but it ain't Gerald Everett unfortunately he is in a timeshare committee at tight end is that a thing it's a thing in LA unfortunately he and Donald Parham exist coexist and it just is not enough volume to make Gerald Everett relevant you cannot start him he is not a streaming option go any other direction I love that you mentioned Hunter Henry. It wasn't even on people's radar. As of September 7th, the expert consensus ranking had Hunter Henry as tight end 21. Tight end 21. The ADP had him at tight end 29. Just to kind of tell you where Hunter Henry was just three <sighs> weeks ago. Why? Because I pulled it up here right now. And, yeah, I'm not very proud of where I had him ranked because – Clearly, I had him outside of my top 20 tight ends as well. So that has already been a miss for me when it comes to Hunter Henry. But yeah, he is Mac Jones' number one target. Why? Because Juju Smith-Schuster's trash. How, how often have I said that? I, I, it's almost like every week I have to go out there and explain to people how bad Juju Smith-Schuster really is. We heard them talking about in the offseason, the only explosive part of this Patriots offense was going to be Juju's knees. And that's what I've been saying for the last couple of years, saying that they've been held together by hubba bubba bubble gum. It always feels good to get that off my chest every single week. But I'm glad it's starting to kind of come to fruition there. And I think my favorite line of the week was, when you're talking about Gerald Everett, I think he was on my sit list here as well. And I said, he is a must how do I put it? I'm trying to think of the proper way in which I put this. He's a matchup-based tight end that has no more good matchups. I mean, I think that's the best way I put it when I describe Gerald Everett as a sit this week. Oh. 
you know, I, wasn't, I, to be, I wasn't that harsh. <laughs> now, a tight end that I do trust this week, it's Pat Frerbooth versus Las Vegas. We're going to go back to the golden rule that has worked for us for how long right now, and that is start your tight ends when it comes to playing the Las Vegas Raiders. I can say this because I'm a Raiders fan, and this has happened to us each of like the last 10 years. A tight end is going to come in here and absolutely ball out. It's what happens. It goes down all the time. But look, Vegas has allowed the fourth most fantasy production to tight ends thus far this season. And the Steelers, they need to find a way to get their offense back on track. That's going to be run the ball of Najee Harris and Jalen Warren there because that's another area that they can attack. And they know that they can attack the tight end position there as well. So this is one of those get-right games for Pat Fairmouth, who's had a couple difficult matchups here early on. And my sit of the week, it's Darren Waller of the New York Giants versus that San Francisco 49ers team. Saquon Barkley, we talked about that ankle injury. Look, the entire defensive scheme for the 49ers, if Barkley is out, is going to be fixated solely on Darren Waller, who hasn't been able to separate against anyone so far through the first two weeks. Now, Waller, to his credit or non-credit, has been dealing with injuries himself so far this season, right? We've heard him on the injury report in week one. We heard he was on the injury report in week two. Guess what? He's always on the injury report, people. Stop pretending that this is something new. This is a tough matchup. The 49ers are allowing just 7.7 fantasy points on a per-game basis to the tight end position. They've only allowed 34 yards to tight ends in the first two games. If that's not reason enough to fade Darren Waller, I don't know what else to tell you right now. Fade Darren Waller. There are better options out there. In fact, I'm going to go over a couple of them in my sleepers. There's, I got at least, like, I'll talk about this in a second. So, Tara, give me your sleeper of the week. My sleeper of the week is an ironic sleeper of the week because I talked about the fact that I – debated whether or not Deshaun Watson would be my sit of the week. But if you want to get risky and you want to play the odds that he will thrive in a matchup that literally any and every quarterback should thrive in this season and every season really against the Titans defense that has not figured out their sad, porous secondary you can get risky and go with Deshaun Watson. It is, you know, you wouldn't have come into the season thinking that a sleeper pick would be Deshaun Watson, but here we are. If you want to get risky and do it, that is my sleeper of the week. Well, I've been running my mouth a lot this week on the show, and I kind of put a bit of slander on Gerald Everett, rightfully so. I talked about Darren Waller in a negative light. But guess what? George Kittle, I'm not trusting him. Darren Waller, I'm not trusting him. So who am I going to trust this week? You ready for this? How about Kyle Pitts versus the Detroit Lions? Yes, I am back in on to Kyle Pitts this week. And no, I'm not feeling unwell. I'm looking at the numbers. If we talk about Najee Harris, if he can't get right this week, if Deshaun Watson can't get right this week on the matchups, if Kyle Pitts cannot get right on this matchup against the Detroit Lions team, that is a, a surrender the most receiving yards to tight ends this season, then it's probably not going to work out for Kyle Pitts. How about two more? How about Adam Troutman against the Miami Dolphins? Greg Dolchich, he's on the IR, and the Broncos are facing a Dolphins team that is allowing over 20 fantasy points to the tight end position. I'm trusting Adam Troutman over Darren Waller and George Kittle. And you know who else I'm trusting over those two guys? 
Cade Otten versus the Philadelphia Eagles. Yeah, let's get freaky. Let's get bold. Let's close out this show with some fireworks because the Eagles, they've already allowed three touchdowns to the tight end position so far this season. Yeah, three touchdowns in two games. That works out to 26.05 fantasy points surrendered to the position. People don't ask how. They ask how many. And Cade Otten, he's got this thing going on with Baker Mayfield. He put up 10 fantasy points last week. He could put up 15 or 16 this week. He could be the tight end one in fantasy. Cade Otten, tight end one for week number three. Stranger things have happened. And normally I'd say, hey, I need to go to bed right now, but honestly, I can see this somehow working out the way this season has worked out and how the tight end position has gone down in the last three, four years. Whoo! There we go. There, now I can breathe. I think the veins, the coronal arteries or whatever you want to call them. Again, not a doctor. We're starting to kind of pulsate there a little bit towards the end. No, Tara, Thursday night football, 49ers, New York Giants. What do the 49ers do to win this game? And what do the New York Giants do to win this game? Matt, is this a uh, is this a serious question? <laughs> Stranger things have happened. It's Thursday night football. That's all I gotta say. Yeah, it's Thursday night football, but um, I don't know that the Giants can do much to win this game. I mean, when San Francisco is first of all, San Francisco um, rolling out Christian McCaffrey at a hundred percent rate, <laughs> which is funny because how many people? Um, Again, I'm not judging you. I'm not talking negative about you. But there were a lot of people that were very, you know, we can't have Christian McCaffrey as the RB1 overall because Elijah Mitchell. Well, here we are. (laughs) Your RB1, your guy, um, Christian McCaffrey, the most reliable back that there is. Um, I just don't, I don't know. This team is on a roll. And Brock Purdy, if nothing else, is very efficient, is very effective, and he's not going to make massive mistakes. So if you're a bad defense that is prone to being picked apart by a technician, then Brock Purdy is probably going to attack you very well. I just don't see any kind of area where the Giants will be able to Stop this San Francisco offense and the San Francisco defense. Again, you know, Daniel Jones is going to have to go out there and run for his life to have any success, unfortunately. So there's not many pieces that you want to actually start. If you need to stream Daniel Jones, that's it. I am willing to, in the wasteland that is tight end, I am more than willing to start Darren Waller just based off pure targets because the odds are that you're going to get enough to make him a top 10 you know, just purely based off volume. But outside of that, I mean, you just can't really trust anything that you've got here. So this is not the ideal. I know it's a Thursday night matchup and it could go any way. We just saw primetime Kirk Cousins look excellent, like in his true prime. But I can't get hype for this game, unfortunately. Yeah, this is one of those games I'm I'm just not looking forward to watching. I'm going to watch it because... That's what we do, but <laughs> it's tough to go with. But Brock Purdy has been a pleasant surprise for me. I was really concerned about that elbow, how that would look through week one and week two. Looks like no problem. So quickly, before we close out the show, I'm just going to run off the top 12 at each position so far. The quarterback positions, number one is Kirk Cousins, followed by Jordan Love, Justin Herbert, Patrick Mahomes, 
Russell Wilson, Tua Tagovailoa, Mac Jones, Anthony Richardson, Jalen Hurts, Daniel Jones, Jared Goff, and Sam Howell. And just missing out is Josh Allen and Baker Mayfield, who comes in at number 14. I just had to throw in 14 just to get Baker's name in there. At the running back position, we want to talk about how upside down the tight end position is. How about we talk running backs? Christian McCaffrey, yeah, he's going to be there no matter how you want to look at it, especially when we're looking at PPR. But number two, Kyron Williams. Number three, Brian Robinson. Four, Tony Pollard. Number five, Bijan Robinson. Number six, Raheem Mostert. Saquon Barkley, Derrick Henry, James Cook, Ramondre Stevenson, Tyler Algier, Kenneth Walker. And at number 13 is James Conner. At wide receiver, number one in PPR is Tyreek Hill. Number two, Puku Nakua comes in at number two. Number three, Justin Jefferson. Number four, Mike Evans, who's just 763 yards away from 1,000 once again. Number five, Keenan Allen. Number six, Nico Collins. Number seven, Devontae Smith. Number eight, Brandon Ayuk. Number nine, Stefan Diggs. Ten, Michael Pittman. Eleven, C.D. Lamb, who had a 25-point performance last week. Number 12, Josh Reynolds, 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 followed by Chris Olave and Debo Samuel. Crazy to think that Amonra St. Brown isn't even the number one wide receiver on his team. And finally, the tight end position, because it's always fun to look at this. Number one, TJ Hawkinson, followed by Hunter Henry, Evan Ingram, Sam Laporta. Yes, rookies can be top tight ends, apparently. Darren Waller comes in at number four. Hayden Hurst, Zach Ertz, Logan Thomas, Kyle Granson, Cole Komet, Dalton Kincaid, and at 15 and a half points, Dawson Knox and Mark Andrews tie for number 12 of the position. That's where we're at. 15 fantasy points gets you into the top 12 conversation at the tight end position. With that all being said, I want to remind people right now, find Tara Roberts at its Tara time on the Twitter machine, on the X machine, whatever you want to call it. Miss Fantasy is always looking for your questions. So if you have questions, she's got answers. Drop them off to her, and she's going to answer them on her own solo podcast each and every week. And if you're looking for me, hey, we've got the Vipers Network right here. You can also head over to Rotoballer each and every week for my starts and sits video. With that all being said, this has been the ViperCast Week number three starts and sits, and we look forward to seeing you again next week.